0: Well, in case you woke up this morning and wondered what all the hoopla is, it's Easter Sunday. As I walked as I walked out of my house this morning and looked up and down my street, I thought, do you not know? Jesus is alive? They don't seem to know and and basically out there there is a very quiet day going on. It's another holiday another Sunday. It makes you wonder, is Jesus even relevant? Now to ask that question, of course, we know the answer to that question, but what about the world that we live in? I did a little looking around at what seems to be relevant with everybody else and some of the key interests and concerns of, of the millennials in a poll done in two, 2016. Now, if you don't know what a millennial is, there are people who were born between 1982 and 2004. I got five of them in my family. We're definitely outnumbered. We're sort of millennially slanted. So I know something about millennials, a little bit. But what's, inter- what's important to them, what's relevant to them is climate change. Large-scale international conflicts, religious conflicts, poverty, and government corruption and incompetence. That pretty well covers a lot of uh, important things, doesn't it? In a a Gallup poll done over the last couple of years, which is more the general consensus of all of us, not just millennials, but in a Gallup poll in 2015-2016, number one, government Number two, economy. Number three, unemployment. Number four, immigration. I, I looked at these, these uh, ideas, these concerns, these interests that seem to be so relevant to our culture and distilled them into three really important realities. It seems to me that everybody's concerned about their safety, the management of their lives, and their future. And so we ask the question, is Jesus relevant to those questions? Uh, let, let's take a wider angle at this, a wider angle look at this. And I was thinking about what if the, what if the headline this morning as you went home, you flipped on your TV, and, and as we all do, we go to CNN first, right? Calvin goes to TSN. Amen. If he had TSN. Oh, you got it now. Wow! All right, Jen has broken the bank. But we go to CNN and uh, and what if the what if the it, it came across you know CNN breaking news report living forever has been discovered. Wow! Can you imagine people would be glued to their TVs? They like like what living forever has been discovered. Wow. What if the headline, the breaking CNN breaking news headline said this? Jesus has been appointed Lord and Christ. Be like, "What?" Flick. Right? What if they knew What if they knew that living forever has been discovered? And what if they knew that because Jesus has been appointed both Lord and Christ, we can live forever? What if they knew that? Would, would Jesus then be relevant, do you think? Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 2? I want to um, examine this morning the events around Easter. I want to look at all of Easter, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension. But I want to start in Acts chapter 2. I want to remind us that the events of Easter occurred in a point in time, in a historic reality. Christianity is not um, a once upon a time kind of thing. When, when we look at the events of Easter, we're not, we're not left with this idea that it's Aesop's fables. It's entrenched in history in a, in a, in a researchable time. You, you can go and, and look at these facts and find out for yourself from not just the scriptures but from ancient records and so the the events of easter occurred at passover Pesach, the time the jews would gather annually and sacrifice lambs for their sin and to thank god That they had been rescued out of Egypt. They'd been saved, delivered out of Egypt. It was a time of thanking God for their salvation from a political slavery. It was to happen each year, the Passover, 15th day of Nisan the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. And in this particular case, it was the Passover that occurred in 33 A.D. I can't be 100% certain that that's the exact date, but I'm very, very certain that in fact the crucifixion of Jesus happened on April 3rd, 33 A.D., Why do I say that I'm somewhat certain about that? There is a record outside of the Scriptures of a letter from Pilate, a certain man called Pilate, to another certain man called Tiberius. These are historic facts. You you can cross-reference and check them yourselves. There was a man called Pilate, and there was an emperor called Tiberius, and in the letter, Pilate writes to Tiberius about a certain crucifixion. The Romans had performed many crucifixions. But he writes about a certain crucifixion, A.D. 33. And in that crucifixion, he talks about cosmic events that took place that, were, that blew his mind. Because we know in the record of scriptures that that Pilate already had some reservations about Jesus and his crucifixion. He writes to Tiberius and talks about the, the land going dark at this crucifixion. The sun, it was as if the sun was covered, he says. He talks about the moon being blood red on this particular crucifixion. Regardless of what you believe, something memorable happened A.D. 33 at a crucifixion. In the first sermon that was delivered after the events of the first Easter, which is a historic reality, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2. And we find ourselves here because 50 days after Passover, the Jews had another festival. This festival is called the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Harvest, or in Hebrew, the Feast of Shavuot. So it was incumbent upon all male Jews... To assemble in Jerusalem for three festivals each year. The Feast of Tabernacles, Passover, and this, the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Harvest. And they gathered together. And because it was the Sabbath, there was, and because it was this festival, there was no one working. And so they were gathered in a room like this. Probably not this big. In fact, for sure not this big. But they were gathered in a room and they were celebrating this festival. It is at this moment that we arrive at Acts chapter 2. And Peter delivers a sermon in response to the memorable events that took place. This was not your run-of-the-mill Feast of Weeks. They had been at many feasts of harvest. They had been at many Shavuets. But something unbelievable happened at this one. And so Peter preaches a sermon. But first the description. When the day of Pentecost, and Pentecost simply means 50th day. The 50th day after Passover. So this would have been May 23rd, 33. When they were all together in one place, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under the sun, under, under heaven, because they had to come. They were required to come from wherever they were. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans the disciples? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine. From my experience, wine never makes you smarter. So this was immediately a a bad assessment. This morning, I want to address this sermon of Peter, and I want to answer the two questions that are asked in this sermon. The first one is here, what does this mean? And the second is later on, after he delivers his sermon, what shall we do? Those are the two most important questions of Easter what does all of this mean and what shall we do there are new there are not two more important questions in your life to answer than these two questions what does this mean and what should we do about it I have prayed uh, much this week as I know many of you have that God would visit us powerfully And my heart's desire is this, two things this morning, that those of you who came with a relationship of Jesus Christ, you know him as your Lord and Savior, would leave this place full of the Spirit, full of rejoicing and encouraged in your heart. And if there's anyone who has come here this morning but came without Jesus because you don't know him, He is not your Lord and Savior. That you would not leave that way, but that you would leave with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Those are are the goals of my heart today. Those are the goals of my prayer. So, would you bow with me? And could we ask the Lord to do that, oh God, this morning, this your Easter, this wonderful, holy, awesome weekend? oh God would you strengthen the hearts of your people with this truth all over again would God's people be encouraged oh God and Lord because you are a saving God and because Jesus died for the very reason that lost people would come into your family would you bring salvation to this room today oh God but if there's someone here this morning who doesn't have a relationship with you or has strayed so far away from you not sure where they're at, would they leave today with you in their life, oh God, I pray, through Jesus Christ, our Lord? I, I thank you and praise you for your word to us. You're gonna tell us what all this means and you're gonna tell us what we should do. And then, oh God, I just pray that the Holy Spirit of God would, would cause us to do what you ask us to do, what you command us to do. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. To be honest, this morning as I was um, worshiping, as we were all worshiping together, I was thinking about the introduction to the sermon, and I was thinking, um, you know what? What? The whole title is Jesus Relevant and everything. And I thought, you know, we don't need this introduction this morning at all. We already had our introduction of the relevancy of Jesus Christ. Looking at your faces and seeing your heart's expression and worshiping in the midst of God's people, the relevancy of Jesus Christ was everywhere in the room this morning. It was proclaimed everywhere and has been proclaimed all weekend. So what does this mean? Well, let me show you very quickly this Feast of Weeks, this Feast of Harvest. It was commemorated annually. It was a gathering of God's people, a gathering of the the Jews, an international multilingual gathering of Jews in Jerusalem. Oh, they had a common language Hebrew, but they all for centuries had been displaced into other places from the Babylonians, from the Persians, from the Greeks, from the Romans, dispersed all over. And now they're called back together at this Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Harvest. What's the message here? What were these festivals that God had set up for his people all along? What is the Passover? the the sacrifice of lambs and then and then uh, God brings the lamb of God the once and for all sacrifice at Passover to finally bring to fulfillment the purpose of Passover was to bring people to an awareness of Jesus Christ the only sacrificial lamb now we have the festival of harvest what is this all about 50 days after Passover It was to commemorate the giving of the law at Sinai and also that they were to bring the first fruits of their barley harvest. And each Jewish man was to bring two loaves of barley from the barley harvest. And it was to be leavened bread. Now, if you know anything about the Jews, they didn't like to bring leaven to anything religious because leaven was a symbol of sin. And here is this festival that For centuries, they were wondering about, why are we bringing leavened bread? And here it is, the symbol of two peoples, two loaves, the Jews and the Gentiles coming together as one people who were now going to be the great harvest of souls that God was now commemorating. This feast of harvest wasn't about barley. Barley. It was about those who were coming to faith in Christ, those who were coming to him. It was about God's spiritual harvest. And we know that the leavened loaves are symbols of sinful man. These were not symbols of Messiah, who is sinless. They were symbols of humans, sinful humans, And then we have all kinds of things happening. All of a sudden, there's a violent wind in the room. Now, think about it. We're in this contained room. And all this, it doesn't just say a wind. It says a violent wind. That's the kind of wind that takes your comb over and just blows it over to the other side. And that thing is dangling out there like, this is some sort of wind. This was a violent wind. And of course, this word... In the scriptures, ruach in Hebrew is the same word that's used for breath or spirit. The breath of God, the spirit of God is blowing in their midst. It's the same word that was used at creation when the Holy Spirit was hovering over creation. The wind of God, the breath of God, the life of God, the spirit of God is among them. And there's fire Tongues of fire, it says, a symbol of God's presence as they were being led out of Egypt. What was leading them but a pillar of fire, the, the evidence of God, the symbol of God. And here we have the same thing, leading them out of slavery and into freedom in Christ is a symbol of the fire of God's presence right there in their midst. And then they're overwhelmed by the fact, bewildered by these events that are going on. And they're starting to hear the disciples. The disciples are declaring the glories of God in their own languages. What's that all about? In Isaiah 28, 11, and 12, it talks there in a prophecy that God is displeased with His people and demonstrating His displeasure with His people because they've been so insular in not taking the message of God to the world. That there's a prophecy in Isaiah 28 that's fulfilled in in, in 1 Corinthians 14 and fulfilled here where people of other tongues will speak the glories of God. I'm sure Jesus was so disappointed in the disciples right back in Acts chapter one verse six. If you recall after they see they see him after the resurrection he gives them the great commission and what is the great commission go into all the world and preach the gospel and he shows up and they show up in acts chapter 1 verse 6 and they say this to him so when they met together they asked him lord Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? (laughs) You're still on the Israel thing, guys. You're still stranded there. I, I told your father Abraham that through him all the nations would be blessed. What is wrong with you guys? You are still Focused on your one race, Israel. I'm a God of the world. I'm a God of the nations. And here is God showing up in this room, speaking in the languages of all that had gathered there. Remember the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, where God was displeased with people and he confused the languages? God is reversing that moment right here and declaring to those who are assembled in that room, I am pleased with you. And now one common language, the language of God whereby we will declare throughout all the world the glories of Christ. That's what it says in verse 11 of chapter 2 here. They were declaring, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. This very day, this morning, all over the world, in the tongues of a variety of people from every part of the globe, the glories of God are being declared because of this event. When they're asking the question, what is this? What does this mean? And 3,000, and when you get to the end of the chapter, it says there 3,000 people were added to the church. Amen. Now, when Moses came down From Mount Sinai with the law of God in his hands. Which, by the way, this harvest, this festival of harvest, was to commemorate the giving of the law. Their minds were focused on the historic reality of that. When Moses came down with the the uh, tablets in his hand, he discovered that God's people had started to worship a golden calf. And God was displeased with them. Angry. And 3,000 of them were removed from the people of God and killed. And on this day, 3,000 people are added to the people of God, reversing the situation of Mount Sinai. So, what does this mean? Peter stands up in verse 14 with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully. And he's telling you, men and women of Oshawa, Ontario, Canada, listen carefully to what I say these men are not drunk as you suppose it's only nine in the morning no this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days God says I will pour out my spirit on all people what does this mean? When Jesus was on the cross, in the last hour, after he had said, it is finished, there's a description there that most of us pass over and pay very little attention to. In John 19, verse 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit, it says. But a better translation is this He bowed his head and he handed over his spirit. Do you remember what Jesus had promised? Jesus had promised in John 14, verses 5 through 15, that if I go away, I'm going to send another like me a comforter one like me and he will be with you and he will be in you and he will tell you all the things that I have said the Holy Spirit of God this is the promise of the prophets and more particularly of Jesus himself when he was on the cross he symbolically handed over the spirit of Christ to humanity. And now 50 days after he told them, stay here, don't go anywhere until you receive the spirit of God. And here he is fulfilling it. This is what this is. It's the promise in the last days of the era of the spirit. It means God and harvest is upon us. God, has promised, is pouring out his spirit on people. And as you read down near the middle of his sermon, in verse 21, he says, and here is the point. And now everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that not phenomenal? Now everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you realize what that means to every one of you in here? Every one of you who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what this means. At that event, in the pouring out of the Spirit of God, it means that anyone in this room, this day, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's an amen moment for sure. Jesus is gone, but God is back. Back and in power to make certain that the Great Commission... The harvest, the bringing in, I will make you fishers of men. Remember, it gives us confidence to host the weekend like we hosted and to put the effort into it. Why? Because Jesus said to us, I will make you fishers of men. I will cause the harvest. Look at, look at the fields right now. They're already white unto harvest. Just go and pray that the Lord of the harvest will send harvest helpers to go and, and reap the harvest. Why? Because this is the era of God in spirit and harvest of lives. That's what this message is all about. And by the way, the emphasis is not on the activity. The activity pointed to the emphasis. Way too often, far too many people stay embedded here, and they want wind and fire and tongues, and let's stay there with all the activity. Listen, the activity is not the emphasis The the activity is to drive us to the emphasis which is God and his power through his powerful Holy Spirit to bring to faith people who call on the name of the Lord. That's what this is. So what should we do about it? Well, first, some key things to know before we get there. When Jesus was on the cross... One of the things he said was this, Father, forgive them, Luke 23, for they know not what they do. Many of us have not really elevated that other than to think, wow, Jesus is so gracious, so magnanimous. That's how awesome our Jesus is. And We've sort of stayed there. And that's all true. Jesus is awesome and gracious and magnanimous. But do we realize that that was an actual prayer? it wasn't jesus just being like look at me i'm jesus and and you know even in my and even in this horrible moment i still want people to be no this was a prayer to the father this is why he was on the cross so that people could be forgiven and so he's uttering this most incredible prayer oh father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing And that prayer has rippled down through the ages. If you're here this morning without Jesus Christ, that prayer is for you. Father, forgive her. Forgive him because they don't know what they're doing. If you don't have Jesus, it's because you don't know what you're doing. That's the truth. And so these events were an answer to God, to to the prayer to the Father That by raising Jesus from the dead, God appointed Jesus, both Lord and Christ, as we'll read here, so that forgiveness that Jesus prayed for from the cross can happen for you. On the cross, Jesus paid for your pardon it says here peter says listen man of israel listen to this jesus of nazareth was a man accredited by god to you by miracles wonders and signs which god did among you through him as you yourselves know this jesus has the credentials peter says look no further if you're wondering about messiah if you're wondering about lord if you're wondering about christ look no further this man jesus was credentialed by god the father through miracles. remember when John the Baptist was in prison and he was wondering, is this Jesus really the Messiah? Is he he the one or should we we look for another? And he said, go ask his disciples. Go to him. Go, Go ask Jesus. And what did Jesus say to John the Baptist? He said, go back and tell John that the blind are seen, that the deaf are hearing, that the dead are being raised to life. The very Credentials, the, the expectations of Messiah are being met in Jesus. And the people in that room were eyewitnesses to these very things. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, look no further. This one who died on the cross is the one who paid for your sins to pardon you. There's amazing thing that's stated here. This man, verse 23, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and and foreknowledge. This is not a random act of a violent, hostile, cruel humanity. It was that. But it was by the providence and plan of God. Do we realize that when, when God was creating the world and when the Son of God, it tells us, who is Creator Himself, was creating humanity. He already knew that in the creation of us, it would mean that He would spend those six horrible hours on the cross of Calvary that we might be saved. Do you realize that in that moment he could have changed his mind and said, I'm not going to create humanity because the cost is too great. So when we're talking about, for God so loved the world, we should not handle that in a trite way. Oh yeah, God, thank you. You're so lovable and kind. Listen, this is the agonizing love of God who contemplated the creation of us at the cost of the life of of his only son, that's the God who loves us and cares for us, the God that pardoned our sins, and at the same time, this God, right through Peter in this message, and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross, in the providence of God, but in the provocation of our own willful wickedness, we are responsible for Jesus' death. It's my sins that put Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Every single one of you in here this morning is responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. Do we understand that? For those of you who have come, not come to know him yet... You are responsible for the death of an innocent man that still hangs over your head. Jesus, we are told, was raised, but God raised him from the dead, verse 24, freeing him from the agony of death. I want to stop there for a moment. The agony of death, it's an unusual construction of words there because it really says the birth pangs of death. We don't normally associate birth and death but here in this imagery, in this precision, God the Father rescues the Son through birth pangs of death. On the other side of this death is life just like the pains of birth bring life at the other end of them this is a entirely different reality to death now because death could not hold christ the sinless son of god that's what it says here could not keep hold of him and david goes on to say this was prophesied or he writes about the king david writing in the psalms this is prophecy in verse 31 seeing what was ahead he spoke of the resurrection of christ that he was not abandoned to the grave nor did his body see decay God God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact Jesus, by, by Jesus' resurrection death has been made powerless. Do we understand this? This construction of the words and in that room were eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus was alive. Many people are willing to die for what they believe is true but no one will die for what they believe is a lie. No one. And these people in that room, many of them went to a martyr's death convic- with convictions because they were there. They knew that Jesus had been risen from the dead. And then it says here that exalted God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact exalted to the right hand of God by his ascension. Jesus has been appointed both Lord and Christ. Look what it says here. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has appointed this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. It was at the ascension that the disciples finally caught fire. If you look at the end of the gospel of Luke. You find the disciples have just come back from saying goodbye to Jesus as he's whisked into heaven. And they come back and it says that they're leaping for joy. Now, I don't know about you, but when people I really care about leave, the last thing I do when I say goodbye to them is leap for joy. Now, you may have some people who come and visit you and you're really glad they leave and you leap for joy. That may happen occasionally, but, but not, not the people you really love. When, when my little family is going back to Africa, I am not going to be leaping for joy. I'm going to be profoundly sad. So what caused these disciples to leap for joy? I mean, they'd just gotten Jesus back. He was with them for 40 days. And he leaves. Because they knew the the, the thing was on. That what God had promised, this salvation was on. Jesus is King. He's Lord and man. He really is who He says He is. This mission is really about King Jesus. And and, and now here's the truth. As our Lord, because God has given him the rank. That's what this whole appointed is all about in verse 36. God has now given Jesus the rank of Lord and Christ. And as Lord, he has the authority to pardon you. Beloved, listen to me. There are all kinds of religions, all kinds of ideas out there. There's all kinds of suggestions out there about how things can be. Listen, there's only one. By the only God that there is who has been given a rank as Lord. And that rank as Lord means he alone can pardon you. He is the only one who can grant mercy to you and pardon you. Because he personally died for your sins. So you who have offended a God by high treason may be pardoned alone by the Lord, Jesus Christ. And as your Messiah, as Christ, given the title of Messiah, Christ, Savior, he is the only one who can rescue you from the coming wrath of God. Now, I think all of us in here, as we look at the world that we live in, are mostly aghast at the depths of wickedness that continues to go on. The whole issue of human trafficking and, 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 and king and, and leaders who gas their own people. All of us are sitting here believing there has to be a day of reckoning. There has to be a call to justice. There has to be some day when all of this will be put right. Well, there is a day. And God has established that day. And I want each one of you here to listen to me this morning. That day is coming. We don't know when it's coming. It might come today. But that day of reckoning is coming. And the wrath of God will be poured out on all wickedness and all those who rebel against God. And Jesus as Messiah, Lord, Savior, is the only one who can actually rescue you from the coming wrath of God. There is no other. Now as both Lord and Christ, he alone pours out the Holy Spirit on you. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you do not belong to the family of God. He is the only one who can grant a human being the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God for salvation. What shall we do? Peter told them, repent, turn, change your mind about how you've been thinking about things, how you've been living, and be baptized, identify, surrender your life to God, identify with Jesus Christ, change your mind and change your ways. what does all this mean it means that everybody who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved what shall we do call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved repent and be baptized and you will receive forgiveness of your sins the answer to Jesus prayer on the cross and you will receive the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to enable you to say no to your addictions, to say goodbye to, the, to, to, the, to falling to temptations, to say it is over. My separation and alienation from God is now over. It's finished. I now belong to Christ. The divine presence and pardon will be yours the requirements necessary for living forever. Oh God, what does this mean? This means everything. What Jesus has done for us means absolutely everything. He has forgiven our sins. He has died for our salvation. He is raised again to conquer death for us. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven, our advocate to the Father. As Lord in Christ, he is the one that can grant pardon and mercy. As Christ, he can rescue us from the coming wrath of God. Save us, oh God. It means everything. So, Lord, Lord, I pray that God's people here this morning will be strengthened of soul today, resolved in their faith in Jesus Christ, and that any soul in here this morning that is still lost and estranged from Jesus will call on the name of the Lord and be saved. For Jesus' sake, amen. 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 So I ask you, is Jesus Christ relevant? He showed up alive against everything else. All else seems irrelevant. Jesus Christ alone enables us to have peace with God. Jesus Christ alone enables us to have power for living that pleases God and brings us into salvation. It is Jesus alone who carries us over the threshold of death so that we will live forever and not die. Is Jesus relevant this Easter? He is more relevant today than ever. He is relevant because He is here. He is alive, and He is the living God, Christ, Lord. Worship Him. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. Is there anyone in here this morning that would say, Rick, would you pray for me right now because I want to call in the name of the Lord and be saved? there anyone, would you slip up your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. The Lord knows who you are. Is there anyone in here this morning that would say, Rick, I want to call in the name of the Lord. I've not been living for him. I don't know him. I need to call on him. Anybody? Anywhere? Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone? This is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear the Lord, do not harden your heart. Our Father and our God, because of Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. And we rejoice with glad hearts because Christ Jesus died for our sins once and for all was raised again, credentialed by God the Father as both Lord and Christ himself gave out the Spirit of God to those who now belong to him. And so now we rejoice, O God, and we thank you for Easter. It is the most relevant of all things in life, what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so we praise you. And Lord, I thank you that you are saving hearts all over the world today. Wherever this message is proclaimed, hearts are turning to you because you are gracious, and you draw people to yourself, and you still save everybody who calls on the name of the Lord. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.